Hey guys, and welcome back. This is Jeremy Laverne, your host of Man Revealed. Today's episode is sponsored by our local plant nutrition stores. Ray, Trent, Kyle, and the plant nutrition team has agreed to give away one large protein shake when this episode gets at least 20 shares from the Man Revealed Facebook page. I will randomly select one winner from the people who have shared this episode. So go see Ray and Soffer, Trent on Ryan Street in Lake Charles, and Kyle in Moss Bluff for all your sports and health nutrition needs. These guys can answer any questions you have and can get you on track to reach your New Year's resolution goals. Thank you, Ray, Trent, Kyle, and the Planet Nutrition team for your support. Today I sit down with my best friend, Keegan Guidry. We've been best friends since second grade. Uh, I know I'm not the only person that calls him their best friend. I'm sure there's probably five or ten different guys that, that call him that because uh, the guy is just the most loyal, dedicated friend that you can ever have. Uh, the guy is a, just a stand-up guy, the funniest person you'll be around, um, and loyal to a fault sometimes. Um, and that's, and that's a good thing. He's the most dedicated person I know. And that's, I, I can't say that enough. Uh, he and his wife, Sarah are foster parents. Uh, they're doing such great things inside of our community, inside of our, uh, Catholic faith. They're just doing it and living, uh, the way that we're supposed to live, uh, as far as doing the right things. I, I again, you know, this guy, we have done everything together. I mean, me and Keegan have gone through so much stuff. Uh, you're looking at the guy who invented the jelly robot. Uh, if you don't know about the jelly robot, maybe ask him. Or, uh, heck, we could probably do a, a whole episode just on that and where it's been and where he's done it. Uh, just one of the funniest persons I know, man. Uh, can't get enough of him. Um, but again, just can't you know just can't be more thankful uh to have him in my life uh he's he's just my best friend can't say it enough man i love him so without further ado keegan gidry episode 002 let's get it all right keegan man Happy New Year's to you. Happy New Year, man. Uh, we're recording this on the uh, actual January 1st. Yeah, the, it is New Year's Day. Happy New Year, everybody. Yeah, man. Yeah. Um, Christmas, holidays, all that good stuff went well? Everything was good, man. Uh, kids are bad, but other than that, they're, they're, yeah, it's our fault. We spoil them, but it was good. It was real good. Yeah. Um, too many toys. Way yeah. too many toys. Yeah. Par for the course. My backyard is basically a playground at this point. So. Yeah. No, I understand. I'll I understand. pay somebody to cut my grass now because I want to do it myself, and he probably hates me. So. <laughs> yeah. uh, did you stay up to midnight or what? No, I did not, man. I uh, went to the in-laws last night, had a little so a little bit of whiskey, and then I don't remember the last hour of the night. I think I was in bed by like 10 o'clock. Yeah. So, it's kind of yeah. poor for the course for me. Yeah. I've reached an age now, if I drink, uh, if 
I drink any more than six beers, I can't remember the last hour of the night. <laughs> Falling apart, man. Yeah, hey, it's hell getting old. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But it's this, I mean, I don't know how you do it. I, I can't, if uh, the hangovers hurt too bad and when them oh. kids are up at five o'clock, oh goodness, it's not worth it. The hangovers are getting no better. They're just getting worse. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's good, man. So, um, the kid, I mean, everybody's healthy. I know Anna Claire was having a bunch of ear infection issues. Anna Claire, and stuff. Is, uh, her ears are infected right now. I think we're on ear infection number 37. Man. So we're currently. Um, and that's a real number probably. Yeah. Not, yeah. Yeah. It's a real number. It's not, not exaggeration. Yeah. She's, uh, she's become uh, immune to, I don't know how many different antibiotics at this point. She's been on 20 something different antibiotics. I mean, it's kind of ridiculous. So we've talked to our specialist, uh, and we told her we're looking at, we're gonna to put together a spreadsheet of, of every ear infection, the date, what was prescribed to her. Uh, and we're gonna start sending those out to Mayo Clinics across the country. Dang. And whoever sends us a, a competent response is where we're gonna go. I don't care where it is. Yeah. I mean, at this point, we're just a little concerned for her hearing loss. You know? And she's how old now? She, Anna Claire, is four. Four years old. And man, she's, I know she's been struggling with this for a long time. Right, and the thing everybody says is they grow out of it, but uh, I mean, it's, this is getting a little excessive. We, uh, we've heard rumors of a procedure where they may have to uh, lift her eardrum and drill into a bone behind the eardrum and see if the infection is in the bone. Really? So, yeah. Now, and so apparently, I mean, your doctors, they're saying that this is some kind of uncommon infection or? Well, our local, I'm not gonna say any names, our local yeah. ENT uh, pretty much threw in a towel. He said, look, I'm sorry, I don't know what to do anymore. Right. He said, I, this is the strongest, the hardest case I've had. I can't figure it out. So we've been still going to him uh, to get the culture cultures done because now we've been told every time she has an ear infection, do a culture. It seems to be two, um, don't even get me to try to say the names of these things, but it seems to be two infections we're bouncing back and forth between. Okay. Um, and he's not even charging us. He's charging us just for cu the culture results. He's not charging us anything else. Right, right. So it's, it's very good of him. You know? I mean, so, but do you think that uh, he'll take whatever y'all get from the Mayo Clinics and, or maybe do you, is he reaching out maybe to some? Uh, he, he the, the specialist we're seeing in Metairie, he reached out to her okay. and sent us that direction. She's uh, tried and failed three times. Uh, we, she sent us to an infectious disease specialist yeah. or immunologist who said, uh, put us on an eardrop and said, let's wait uh, for the next ear infection and take another culture. And when that happened, that's the infection we're on now. So we've called him and he wouldn't answer. It turns out he doesn't work for the work there anymore. And we were never told anything. Hmm. So she, we were sent to another immuno immunologist and they just pretty much acted like they wanted nothing to do with it. They wouldn't know what to do. They just sent us back to the, the right. specialist. So, so uh, we're kind of getting frustrated. Well, I guess, point. yeah. Uh, I mean, this has been years. Right. So does she sleep okay? Or? Yeah, I mean, this is the crazy thing about it. She's four years old. She has an ear infection every two weeks. You know? mm -hmm. If she goes three, four weeks out of an infection, it's, it's great, you know. Uh, she does not complain about her ears hurting ever. Maybe once, or, once or twice she's complained about pain in her ears. Um, we've been through two or three different sets of tubes because they think bacteria is growing on the tubes. Put new tubes in, she still gets infections. Her ears still drain. Uh, I mean, it's, they drain to the point where it's, it's on her pillow, it's in her hair. Right. And you, you know when she has an infection because it, there's no hiding it. It's coming out, you know. Uh, so, but even in, without tubes, she doesn't complain about pain. Uh, she still has little holes, I guess, that's allowing it to drain. Um, I just think there's a root cause that nobody can figure out. Yeah. You know. 
well, y'all doing the right thing as far as reaching out to Mayo Clinic. I mean, hell, this might be something they put in a, in a science book. You know, yeah. she, she really might have something that they, mm -hmm. they find as something new. Man, well, look, we're praying for her. Mm -hmm. um, I didn't realize that she was still having them all this time. I thought, you know, that she would maybe grow out of it. I think it, last know? I talked to you, uh, we were on like a three or four week stretch and we thought we got it. Yeah. But, yeah. We've been through three or four since then. So, <laughs> well, we'll be praying for our poor baby. Thank you, thank you. Uh, now, Brody, he's a wildfire, I, I'd imagine. Uh, there's no other way to put it, man. The kid's an absolute lunatic. <laughs> Brody is a lunatic. If there's one good thing about it, he won't be like me. He's not going to be some uh, shy kid. Yeah. At least it doesn't look that way now. Maybe he'll grow out of it. I don't know. But uh, I think he'll be a good kid, but he's going to be one of those guys that he'll get in trouble in school for doing things he shouldn't be doing for sure. <laughs> yeah. he's hey, be, he's all boy, man. He's going to be that guy that gets runs through campus butt naked uh, for a high school prank and gets expelled right before graduation. Yeah. It's going to be Brody. <laughs> well, we'll hope that that doesn't happen. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's good. That's good. Now, I don't know how much you can talk about the uh, the foster care that y'all are doing, but y'all yeah, have a little uh, baby now. I talked to Sarah. I'm not, I'm not sure if I'm allowed to say her name or anything yeah, like that, but um, right. all I can say is uh, it's a blessing, man. Um, she's... Uh, a beautiful little girl, man. Um, pretty small. Lights up. She calls me Dada now and crawls up to me. We've had her for over a year. Yeah. Or this, she's actually our second foster child. She, she comes up to me, calls me Dada. Um, so if, if the the parents do get get them get to get her back, it'll be it'll be tough. Right. It'll be very tough for me and Sarah. So what is what, what is it actually called that y'all are doing? We're fostering, but it's foster to adopt. Okay. We're some foster parents foster with no intention of ever adopting. They just don't mind being that step-in parent until the parents get their stuff together, or until they find another permanent home. Gotcha. We are fostering with the intent to adopt. Gotcha. Gotcha. So, it's very uh, it's a tricky. With the first child, I, I was able to keep my guard up pretty good, um, but it's, it's been so long with, you know, those walls are getting torn down. Right. 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 We've had her for over a year, you know, and. When you've had and we've had her since she was two months uh, i'm actually the first person who's ever fed her outside of the NICU mm -hmm. um and her her biological mother but um so i mean stuff like that sticks to you you know yeah no of course grabs you grabs you right in the feels yeah so well the first time you told me y'all were doing that it the first thing that came to my mind i mean i, I just know i know your heart mm -hmm. you know we've been best friends since, since second grade yeah, yeah so i know that if or when y'all had a child and it got taken away that it would kill you. Yep. Um, so I, that's correct. Whew, I, <laughs> I, I knew, you know, I knew you were doing the right thing. I, and I'm proud of y'all for doing it. That's it's amazing feat. I just knew that it was going to be very hard on you as far as, mm -hmm. you know, being attached. Um, yeah. and Hey, it's all, however it needs to work out. I, I know that yeah, you truly believe it's going to work yeah. out that way. The thing I always say is, uh, when I pray about it, my, the first, I'll just say God's will, Lord, you will be done. Because um, whatever happens, it's it's going to be what he wants. Um, it's just going to sting, you know. Yeah, yep. But kind of like me and me and Chuck was talking about, it's, it's the process, right? Right, right. Uh, and and I know that you trust the process. You and Sarah mm -hmm. are doing great as far as your religion and and where y'all have come. Uh, and since we're on on religion and stuff now, you all our lives growing up, you know, you went confirmation, mm -hmm. CCD, mm -hmm. and those kind of things. Uh, kind of touch on that as far as your thoughts about it then, 
you know, because I didn't, I didn't go through that. You know, I didn't mm-hmm. go through the CCD and stuff when we were in school. And then, so kind of touch on that and, and where you're at now with well, that. Uh, I've told you this before. I kind of envy uh, adults who convert or who decide to go through the process to RCIA and, and, and do it. Because <clears throat> as a kid, it was always just some other obligation, you know, something mm-hmm. else you had to do. And you don't appreciate it at the time. You don't understand it at the time. Uh, I know my junior year going through the whole confirmation, I was just, I had a job. School was hard junior year, you know, chemistry, I class that year, I think. And I was, <clears throat> so on top of that, I had to do things for confirmation. You know, you had like, kind of like community, community service hours you had to do and things like that. Right. Uh, so it was just a, I always called it like a, like a gauntlet. You know, whenever you're a kid going through this, you go to Sunday school, you know, you go to school a week. Why would I want to sit here, you know? <laughs> And mass, you know, so you want to sit still in mass for that long. And um, and a lot of it, I mean, even now today, nobody understands everything. It's so hard to understand when you're young, you know. Mm-hmm. You don't appreciate it. You don't understand how important what you're going through really is. Right. So I wish I would have known that as a kid, you know. And then going back that age, you couldn't have told me any different. Um, but now, um, it was very exciting coming back and having kids. Um, that's what drew me back in. I did my axe retreat, you know, uh, right after Anna Claire was born, not long after Anna Claire was born, my first child. <clears throat> um, but I never felt God pulling on me or poking me on the shoulder saying, look, you know what you're doing is wrong. Like I felt not bringing my kids to church, mm-hmm. you know. I knew he was saying, hey man, you gotta do something, right? you know. <clears throat> so, and my wife, she is uh, not a follower, okay? She is uh, <laughs> different. She's a little feisty, right? Mm-hmm. So I was started slowly dropping hints, you know, and told her I wanted, you know, to need to, we're gonna get the kids baptized, we're gonna do this. And uh, man, I didn't even have to literally, I didn't have to say, hey, we're gonna, we're gonna, I wanna go back to Catholicism, I wanna get back in the Catholic Church. She just did it. And the axe retreat was huge for her. Yeah. After that, She's taking control. Yeah. She knows more about it than I do. She went through RCIA. It was just a blessing. I mean, I didn't, I prayed about it and it just happened without a fight. You right. know? So that was, that was awesome to go through, right. me and her together. Um, and it was a big weight off my shoulders because it was weighing on me pretty good. Yeah. After, after Brody was born, I was just, man, God is really pulling at me, poking me on the shoulder, looking at me like I'm an idiot saying, hey man, you know, <laughs> you know what you need to be doing right, right now. Not just for you, for these kids and for your wife. This is what you need to do. Right. And it happened, man, and it was great. Yeah. Well, recognizing that, you mm-hmm. know, a lot of people might not recognize those pokes or those guidance mm-hmm. from God. You know, they might just think that it's something else or a coincidence or something mm-hmm. like that. I know me and you talked about it. I, I don't believe in coincidences. Right. You know, there's, there's things that happen that form us to be and go where we need to go. Right. You know, well, I'm good. I'm glad for that. The process. Uh, yeah, the process, the process. Um, well, that's awesome, man. Um, well, look, I know we kind of got into that, but I, and I asked Chuck uh, last week um, about the cover art picture, kind of just a little icebreaker. Uh-huh. What's, uh, you know, what's your thoughts on it? Well, it could be seen in a lot of different ways. To, to me, for all of us, it's uh, our time on earth. God can come for, for us at any time, regardless of our health or of our age. So day by day, we are running out of time. So whatever it is that's troubling you, whatever demons you're fighting, uh, whatever it is that's stopping you from being the person, not just the man, just the person God wants you to be, uh, tackle it now because time's running out day by day. 
Right. Get it right now. Right, right. Now, <clears throat> talking about time and stuff, is there something in the past that maybe not that you would change, but do you think maybe that was a hurdle that you got over or that you had to struggle through to get where you are now? Whew. Man, that's a – I read a book on that, I think. Uh, yeah. Man, I was – shy uh, my size you know a lot of people say oh, I was small in high school you know I was 130 140 pounds uh, congratulations I graduated high school at 115 pounds okay so uh, or maybe 110 um, <laughs> and that came with a lot of uh, self-esteem issues uh, so being so small and self-conscious and being such an introvert like uh, I used to pray all the time in bed, God, let me be myself, let me be myself. Because other than you and our closest friends, people in our circle, nobody knew me. They knew my name, but they didn't know who I was, you know. And everybody always tells me, like, man, you're, you're the best guy I know. You're the funniest guy I know. You're this, you're that. Well, only the people closest to me knew that, you know. Yeah. And it's, it's, it's so weird to just not be able to just be yourself in front of people, other than the ones that are closest to you, you know. And it's... It, it's crippling. It stops yeah. you from doing a lot of things and having a lot of good times you should have had and being the person you could have been a long time ago. Right, know? right. Now, was there, so you, you talk about, you know, self-esteem. Was there any kind of, I mean, I know we were younger at that time, but was there any kind of, you know, fear or anxiety or, or even bullying? I, I don't uh, remember any man, bullying. I've, I can honestly say I've battled um, anxiety since I was, oh, man, fifth, sixth grade. Yeah. I've, I've, I've battled that stuff just for, for fear of failure, uh, fear of my appearance. I felt like people didn't take me seriously because how small I was. I remember um, the sixth grade or seventh grade year playing football, Northside Junior High, I was so small, my knee pads had to be taped around my legs because yep. my, my, my legs couldn't hold my pants up, you know, my pads up. Um, and, every, and I love football still to this day. And I would have loved to have played, but I didn't love it enough to put up with uh, people laughing at me because of my pads. Uh, my shoulder pads didn't fit me right. My helmet, I didn't have a head big enough to fit a helmet. I mean, my, my, my helmet was jiggling around on my head. Um, so it, it, it just stopped me from being able to do a lot of things. Um, I was so worried about what people thought of me and my, my weight and my size and, um, that I couldn't focus enough to even know the playbook or even know what my job was on the field. I was too busy worried about that the entire time. Right. You know. Uh, but if you're, if you're, the fear of failure that, that I also had really put me in some weird situations because as small as I was, I started at left tackle <laughs> in my seventh grade team because I was not afraid to just lay into anybody. Yep. Matter of fact, putting names out there, but the biggest guy on the team that everybody was scared of, I don't even know the name of the drill, you could probably tell me, where you lay on your back, you hold your face mask, coach blows the whistle, and the guy's running at you full speed, he blows the whistle, you stand up and you just gotta make the hit, right? Yep, bull in the ring. Right. This kid was like, I don't know, we were like in the seventh grade, he was like 6'1", I think, yes, I don't know. he was. He was huge, okay? <laughs> I remember the day well. Yeah, because Jeremy being the gifted athlete he was, he was on the eighth grade team, you know? <laughs> Wasn't there to look out for me. <laughs> so I stood up, and I, I remember looking across and seeing that he was next in line whenever there was about two guys in front of me. I said, man, this is, this is, come on, you know? 
So then it's my time about to lay down on the ground and look across at him. He's looking at me with this big smile on his face like he knows he's about to kill me, right? I said, man, all, all or nothing, let's just do it, you know? So I stood up, man, and I just remember hitting him and I'm hearing him go, <laughs> and then he fell on me. And he was like kind of whining. And I was just trying to get out from underneath the guy and I didn't realize that he fumbled the ball. And then you and other guys on the eighth grade team yeah. said they heard it. We heard the hit from, from the other side. The field. Yes, we did. <laughs> so, man, I guess long story short, no matter what it is you think is holding you back, you'd be surprised what you're capable of if you want to just dive right in and not be scared. Yep. You know? Yep. Yeah, and you know, growing up and knowing you so well, I, I knew your heart. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? I knew how much you loved the sport uh, I, out of all the sports, you know, football, basketball, baseball too, you know. But I know you love football. Mm -hmm. And, man, I wish that if your heart – could have been in any one of them other kids' body. And if they would have played with the much heart that you would have played with, yeah. no telling what they could have done. Mm -hmm. So I feel for you, man, with, as far as that. I, I can't imagine – well, I can't imagine now, you know, whenever I quit all my sports, that hole that it left in me. Right. I can only imagine the hole it left in you because you were so much younger right. and, and didn't play, you know, couldn't right. play. So I, I know that had to have been tough. A f fun fact, eighth grade year, I ended up quitting. I was just tired of uh, – the grind and being, you know, picked on. We talked about bullying. I was never really bullied, but, you know, when you were as small as I was in a, in a football uniform, people look at you weird. Uh, I think I was a backup free safety to Jeremy Laverne, who was the starting quarterback and starting free safety <laughs> in his great year. Is that right? Yep, that's right. So it's kind of your fault to quit, man. <laughs> <laughs> uh. Thanks a lot. Never know what it could have been. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> No, man, I, I know that was some tough times for you. Um, so, I mean, how do you feel that that you got through those times, you know, especially in, in high school? You know, how do you, how do you feel or what got you through that? Man, high school was rough because um, that's when you start asking girls to dances, getting girlfriends. And not a lot of people know this about me. I'm not going to hold back. I didn't – I never had a girlfriend until I was 23, 24 years old, okay? First time I kissed a girl, I was 22, 23 years old. Just kissing a girl, that was the first time. Okay. Yeah. That's how bad my self-esteem was. That's how down and out I was. That's how, you know, so high school, whenever it's time to start developing those kinds of relationships, my mom was huge for me. She always told me how great I was and everything was gonna be okay. And so if it wasn't for my mom, um, always looking out for me and always giving me those pep talks. I really don't know. High school would have been really, it would have been even worse, you know. Um, I remember my junior year, I kind of went through depression pretty bad <clears throat> to the point where, uh, ah, I knew you were going to do this. He, Jeremy likes to do this to me, man. <laughs> I, I'm going to get Keegan on the show. He's going to cry like a baby. He's going to just jack my ratings through the roof. <laughs> I mean, he's going to be better than Joe Rogan. <laughs> um, I was so down and out at one point in my junior year, my mom asked me if I was suicidal. Because um, I felt so worthless, man. I just I had a job. Um, and I was struggling in school. I didn't care about anything. Um, I, didn't, I didn't like myself. I didn't have a girlfriend. I wasn't going to dances. And, man, it was rough. Um, But my mom, you know, she she pulled me through it, man. She really did. Yeah. She she always told me the right things. Um. <clears throat> well, I know she she loved you very much, 
you know, and, and it still does, obviously. You know, you still seeing her to this day. She treats my kids like if they were her grandkids, right, right. you know, so it's just the type of person she is and the type of family you have. Um, now, you grew up, you had two sisters. Yeah. You know, were, yep. were you that, able to confide in them at all? Yes, or? I did. Um, Misty, especially, the older sister. Uh, she always had good things to say, too. But with, with one thing that comes with, my dad worked a lot of hours, so I was home with two sisters and a mom quite a bit, and me and my sisters are all, a year apart. Misty's a year older. Haley, my younger sister, is a year younger. I put women on a pedestal. So as I started gaining confidence, as I got older and, you know, gained weight, and I had to learn that women weren't these perfect angels that they made them out to be. So that was a whole nother battle. But yes, my sisters did help me out a lot. Um, they always gave me words of encouragement. They always made me feel like I was worth something. And I don't think my mom or my sisters realized how down and out I was even to this day. Right. They might listen to this and figure it out, but as well, I mean, <laughs> you had a tendency, you had a knack for turning everything into humor. Right. I, I feel that maybe you used humor to, to get you through oh, definitely. Those, those kind of um, things, you know? Yeah. Um, I, I always see the funny side of things and I always play out funny scenarios in my head. I, just the way it is. Sometimes I daydream, but yeah, I do definitely. Um, a lot of times I could, I make myself laugh just thinking about something and my wife will be looking at me like I'm crazy. Like, what are you laughing at? Oh, that was, I was just thinking about something. That's all. Yeah. So that did get me through it a lot. You know, yeah. just thinking about anything in my head that, that was positive and, and put it in a, in a funny way, you know? Right. So what year was it whenever you started gaining your weight? Uh, let's see. I was 21. I had to be 22. We were definitely, I mean, we were all, we were living in Lake Charles, so it had to have been at least uh, 2005, 2006? 2006. Yeah, 2006. I remember I was living in, we in an apartment complex in West LaGrange and in Lake Charles. Uh, and I remember telling you, like, look, I need to do something. I and I, if I remember right, the, the product I used, it was a, a weight gainer. Mm -hmm. You called me and said, hey, I remember we talked about it. I think this is the product that'll work for you. I don't know if you remember that. Yeah, right? Optimum that Nutrition. That was huge for me, man. Yeah. I don't know if you realized that. Yeah, no. That was huge. Optimum Nutrition, Serious Mass. Serious so Mass, yeah. Folks at home, if you got a skinny kid at the house who wants to gain weight, you can buy them like, like a doggy bag size of it online. <laughs> yes. And it will work, I promise. Yeah. Because, and man, I, the first bag of that stuff, I gained 10 pounds, right? So I was 130 pounds and pumped up, right? Because yeah. um, I was 120 pounds at that age, 21, 22. Uh, so yeah, it was about that time and I was working out. I didn't understand what I was doing. Uh, I was eating Popeye's and Taco Bell and I just wanted to take in whatever calories I could. Right. Because when I just wanted to be 150 pounds, I just wanted to be normal because I didn't feel normal at all. You know, yeah. buying clothes was, was a hassle for me. I couldn't find clothes that didn't, weren't too baggy on me. Um, so you feel that there was a switch? It's like, you know, enough's enough. I'm, I'm going to do whatever it takes and right. I'm going to work I my mean, butt off. Man, for, for, for about a year, year and a half straight, I was waking up in the middle of the night with stuff right here at the top of my throat about to come out. Right before I'd go to bed, I would drink these, these shakes. Where I'd drink three of them a day, 32 ounces. And then I'd, I'd eat whatever I could and chug that thing down. And I was nauseated half the day for about a year, year and a half straight. That's what it took. Right. But I was just desperate. Because yeah. at that age, man, I was... There was nights where I'd just lay in bed, cry myself to sleep because my friends are married, they're out and they're doing things and I had nothing, man. I didn't have a girlfriend. I was 20 something years old and everyone held a girl's hand. You know, I gotta do something. 
Uh, and I just battled through that, man. Yeah. It was rough, but I did it. Um, and with it came, it, it came with a lot of confidence. Um, it, I was able to just not even try. And I was getting girls' numbers, going out on dates. It just happened, yeah. you know? Because you always had the personality. Right. You did. You just have, didn't have the confidence in yourself. And it was almost as if, you know, spending half the day nauseated, the least I could do is go talk to this chick, you know, and it was just that easy. <laughs> I didn't wore myself out, you know? Yeah, yeah. Um, so, man, it was, uh, it was a grind. I, I, from my high school years, battling my size and anxiety and uh, shyness and just inability to, to, to be a man and go out and get things, I've been on an uphill battle, man, it seems like since I was a kid, you know? Every, it's been a battle, so. Right. Now, you, you mentioned fear of failure a lot. Mm -hmm. Is that something that it still sticks with you to this day? Yeah. Uh, the crazy part about it is I, I've never considered myself to be the smartest guy. I've never been somebody who handled criticism and failure well. And the career path I've chosen requires you to be extremely intelligent, and it's not a matter of if you ever fail and face criticism, it's a matter of when. <laughs> so yeah. I'm faced with it every day. But I'm not afraid of it. I mean, there's a fear there. I think as a man, fear is what keeps you from getting complacent, I think. Um, but there is a fear there. Uh, the way I deal, the way I know I'm not afraid of it, to face it, is I go to work every day and I put projects out. If I was afraid of failure, I wouldn't even do the project, you know? Right. As long as my work's being put out there, I'm a designer. Uh, women's wear, mostly. Um, <laughs> You're for Victoria's Secret, right? right? Exactly. <laughs> I'm going to my own men's line. Call it Victor's Secret. <laughs> Edible uh, underwear. <laughs> but no, if, uh, yeah, I'm still afraid of failure, but it doesn't stop me from doing what I need to do because every day I go to work, and my projects are being put in, and I've excelled. You know. Yeah. Because with that fear, I'm not complacent. I'm going to take every step possible to make sure. What I'm doing is right, it's being done right, and it's going to work. Right. Well, you're always a person, even whenever we were both working in the meat department at Piggly Wiggly. Right. We were, we were kids that took pride in our work. Exactly. That's something that our dads mm -hmm. had instilled in us at an early age. Right. We're going to exactly. do something, we're going to do it to the best of our ability. Right. And to this day, you still bring that same pride to your work, you know. Now, so, you know, we talk about fear, and, you, and, and fear keeps you from being complacent. That's, that's a great a great line. I'm, I'm going to write that one down because that is true. It mm -hmm. is so true. Mm -hmm. And we have so much more on the line right now, right? Right. We, right. Have, we have wives. We have kids. Mm -hmm. um, so what, what do you think, what is your definition of a man, of being a man? Oh, man. Being a man means you're, you're going to do the right thing, even if it means uh, you have to embarrass yourself, even if it means you have to put your health on the line, your life on the line. To me, the... Uh, one of the things that God expects of a man that men need to take us seriously, and this is something I take seriously more than anything, is um, it's our God-given duty to take care of anybody who isn't able of taking care of themselves, who can't defend themselves. Um, so that's what makes a man. Despite what situation it's going to put you in, what fear you might have, you're going to go do the right thing to help somebody else. Right. Because you're a man, and that's your God-given duty. Right. 100%, man. Mm -hmm. 100%. Now, 
you know, God has taken us both through some some paths, you know, different different paths and and different struggles that we've gone through. Um, now more than ever, as far as the divide that we have in our country, um, mm-hmm. the hatred and stuff that we're seeing in our country. How you know, we you grew up in Jennings. You know, yeah, uh, yeah. we have many of, of black friends, yes. many of white friends. We've been kicked out of clubs for having black friends with us. We sure did. We sure did. Um, so, and, and, and you listened to the podcast with Chuck yesterday, yes, I imagine. I did, yeah. uh, you know, we kind of had that conversation with, with Chuck a little bit, with, with his, you know, being with, uh, married to a white woman and mm-hmm. having, having mixed kids. And what do you think, or have you even thought about, I mean, I know you don't have to think about it because we're not racist in any way, mm-hmm. but what do you think that you, you would have to cross as far as uh, racism or, or maybe what, what has been a situation in racism that you've come across and had to, to not even, you know, not beat or maybe even just talk about, you know? Oh, man. Um, I have a few black friends, man, and we've been in situations where uh, I'm hoping this is what you meant by the question, but I've been in situations where you kind of got to stand up for them. Mm-hmm. Um, I was at a, a either a diaper party or a honeydew shower with and one of our black friends were there and another guy was drunk and he said some, you know, a racial slang, knowing he would hear it and he did it because he wanted him to hear it. He just met the guy, right? Had to kick the guy out of the party. Well, another friend of mine did, it was at his house, but you got to stand up in those situations, you know? So I've been faced with that situation. Uh, and like you said, we've we've been to clubs where we've gotten kicked out uh, just for having a black friend with us. Right. So I've been faced with those situations, and one of the things that I'm I'm dreading is we talk about foster parenting, and there's a very good chance that I'll end up adopting a child of color one day, a biracial child, and we live in an area where there's not the African American population isn't very high, as Chuck said. So. Right. I'm going to have to stand up for a child eventually. It's going to happen. Right. And uh, kind of pumped about it, man. Yeah, because <laughs> because it, you stand up for what's right. Right. Simple as that. As a man, you have to, you know. Simple as that. Um, but you say being put in racial situations, uh, that's something that's coming for me. It really is. It's, it's coming. Um, I just hope God puts the right words in my mouth, gives me the courage to take the right action. Um, I'll take action. I just, where it goes from there, who knows? You know? Right, right. Well, there's no doubt that, that God will guide, guide you in, in those situations, guide all of us in that situation, as long as we put him first and, yeah. we're, and we're following right. him. Right. Um, so tell me a little about, so we made our axe retreat. Uh, you made your axe retreat. Uh, Sarah made hers. Um, and now going through the process of getting back into the church. Uh, and now joining domestic church. I mean, what's, what's that done for you and your family? Oh, it's only made us stronger. Um, as I said before, Sarah's, uh, she jumped right in head first, man. I mean, she, we have books laying around the house. She has these books of women's <laughs> prayers and, uh, you know, she bases everything in her life off of uh, what Jesus would, would want her to do, what God would want her to do. And that's probably been my biggest accomplishment as a husband. Um, because she's better at it than me at this point. Um, but going back into it's been huge. It's been a blessing. Uh, my kids see me in church every day or every Sunday. Um, 
I whipped him every Sunday. <laughs> uh, but I feel like I, it really has boosted my confidence. Being back in the church has not only boosted my confidence as a man of faith or as a Christian, it's boosted my confidence as a, as a dad and as a husband because I know I'm doing what God wants me to do for them. Right. Putting them in the right place. Right. Right. You know, and I'm sure you and everybody else will say, God, you can forget about me, but please, my wife and kids, put them in heaven, you know? Yes. So. Um, but just getting back, you know, trying to kind of maybe closing this thing up a little bit. I know we, me and you can talk forever and yeah. we'll, and we'll meet again. Uh, what's, what's one piece of advice or, or something you could tell somebody that, that may have went through some of the things that you went through, uh, to help them get through it? Man, don't, don't hold yourself back. Just go get it. The pain you're going to feel years and years down the road is far worse than, than the brief bit of pain and anxiety you'll feel just pushing through it right now. Just take the steps now, you know. Um, I tell myself that all the time. If, if I could go back and just open my mouth in front of people and talk to people uh, in my younger years and not worry about my weight so much, how much happier I'd have been then and how much happier I'd be now, yeah. you know. Yeah, 100%. You go get it. You know, if you, if you don't go get it, you'll never, you'll never know what, what could have been. And that's going to live with you for the rest of your life like I'm living with now. So right. get it now. Right. Well, man, look, thank you for sharing. Um, how we end every episode is uh, with the quote of the day. And when I came across this one, uh, you know, just knowing you so much, I thought it was very fitting for what we'd be talking about. And uh, this one comes from uh, Denzel Washington. He says, do you have the guts to fail. And it's just what you said. Go get it. Go get it. Have the guts. It's only going to hurt for a little while. Hurt for a little while. Don't, don't let it be something that's going to torment you for the rest of your life because you never even took the chance. Yeah. You, know? you never know what's going to happen. Mm-hmm. What's on the other side of that door for you. Right. Yeah. Well, you know I love you, bro. Mm-hmm. I love you too, man. Always praying for you. <laughs> Thanks for coming. You know we'll do it again. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. All right, Bubba. Thanks.